Welcome to Care Talk, your weekly home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. David, what do we have up today? Well, John, the, uh, the Olympics just kicked off in Tokyo, so naturally the sports news is about the National Football League. And <laughs> they decided that, that yeah, teams are going to have to potentially forfeit games if they don't follow the COVID protocols or their players are unvaccinated. Well, let's, let's step back a second and say everyone should be vaccinated. While it's still under an emergency use authorization, we now have pretty good results. Over 100 million Americans have been vaccinated with incredibly protective effects. It's a little absurd that even though over 70% of the NFL players have been vaccinated, that you've still got four clubs that are closer to 50% vaccination. I mean, I can't imagine that America's game can't convince America's players who are already putting their bodies at risk if football not to get back. I just the, the, explain this one to me, David. John, I think people are you know sort of stuck in their in their ways. But one thing that changes is if you know if if you need the vaccination in order to you know, have a job or hold a job, then you may change your mind. So I think the idea of having people forfeit the games should make a difference. You saw the Vikings parted ways with their assistant coach Rick Dennison, who wouldn't get the vaccine. I'm not sure he was such a great coach anyway. Uh, but this is actually uh, good to see some kind of a mandate, some kind of consequences. You see it now with health care leaders calling for everybody who works in healthcare to get vaccinated. So I would say, go team. I, I think it's going to be an existential question for all of these uh, pro sports. People are going to get vaccinated or they're going to be out of the league. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, the NFL player's lifespan is almost 30 years lower than the average American, you know, 50, somewhere between 53 and 60. It is, it is crazy that these players and some of the coaches are fighting. But I do think that drawing a line around you're either vaccinated and you're allowed to work or you're not vaccinated and you're going to be distanced by your employer is going to be more and more the rule, not just in professional sports, uh, but also in healthcare. Well, listen, let's uh, stop talking about the football and about the pandemic. And let's talk about something I haven't heard about in a while, John. Medical bankruptcy and medical debt is, I haven't heard about it. Does that mean that medical debt is no longer a problem in this country? Oh, no, 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 no. $2.7 trillion more medical debt, according to Credit Karma, just since the pandemic. Medical debt is actually flat or up since the ACA. Medical debt are those debts that patients owe after they've gotten through the medical industrial complex. It is a huge issue, David. It's probably the biggest bankruptcy issue for all Americans. Well, John, you know, I, I read a lot of statistics about it. Some of them conflict, but the general idea is 60% of people say they have medical debt. 53% of people say it's more than $5,000. And over 70% say it's prevented them from achieving a major financial milestone, like buying a home or having a kid. Now, sometimes people think those things are mistakes to do. So maybe maybe it's good to have medical debt, John. No, 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 no. Over 500,000 people a year in the US declare bankruptcy. Nearly 70% of those folks, or 67% to be precise, actually declare bankruptcy because of medical debts. You know, we've got a little bit of a delay of those debts, probably because of COVID. But David, how in the world could we, the, the, the spending you know, 20% of our GDP on healthcare with the passage of the ACA still have this problem where medical debt, bigger than student debt, is crippling Americans' credit ratings and screwing up their lives? 
Yeah, it's a problem. You know, we talked about the Affordable Care Act, which, you know, has it helped? I mean, it's hard to say because the number of bankruptcies uh, does not necessarily seem to have fallen. One of the challenges is you have these so-called high deductible plans. And since most people can't afford $1,000 of unexpected bills, it's no wonder that they get in trouble just trying to meet their deductible. You know, I think you're getting too highfalutin. I just think that people, providers in America charge too much and deliver too little. I mean, 72% of the people who contract medical debt that is basically a communicable disease uh, contract it through by going to the uh, emergency room. I mean, that's where you enter the system. I mean, we have a a system of nonprofit hospitals, David, uh, that uh, 56% of our hospitals are nonprofit. The ACA, the Obamacare, passed a law that required those nonprofit hospitals to provide free or reduced care to folks who were near or below the poverty line. And yet nearly half of those nonprofit hospitals still jam poor people with very big bills. If you look at medical debt in in general, it hits the poor much more than it hits the middle class and rich people like you. And it's, it's devastating. Well, John, what about Medicaid? I mean, I thought, you know, poor people are supposed to be able to get Medicaid. Medicaid doesn't have those high deductible plans. So how do poor people have medical debt? I don't get it. I think the high, I think your high deductible issue is a canard, David. I think you're trying to distract the issue from hospitals and doctors charging too much and not in any way making room for the average poor or, or working class patient that doesn't know how to navigate the nonsense uh, and the complexity of the medical industrial complex. If you're, if it's hitting the poor more frequently and half of all nonprofit hospitals, which are more than half the hospitals in the U.S., are still sending some of the highest bills to the people who are least capable of paying it, that's a prescription for medical debt and bankruptcy. I mean, as you said, three quarters of the people with medical debt are postponing major life choices. You may not approve of those life choices like having a child, but they would like to have the option. And it just doesn't make sense. 70% of Americans have experienced some form of medical debt, whether it's from the ER or going to the doctor or or test results. The bills are complicated. And I think that the system is taking advantage, unwillingly perhaps, of the least capable folks to pay the most. It just doesn't make sense. John, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate you, you know, identifying whatever canard I had thrown out there. I think I, I've been at the beach. I've got some sort of a duck or something, but you know, let's, let's, let's give some credit to the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, because you do see that um, the Medicaid expansion states, the ones that expanded Medicaid and more poor people can get Medicaid, they do have a lower amount of medical debt. And you see where the highest dollar amounts for medical debt <clears throat> are in the South, which is also where people have an expand, where states have an expanded Medicaid and the, and the lowest debt is in the Northeast. But to put it in perspective, John, medical debt, as you say, is now the biggest category of debt overall. And did you know, in fact, it's bigger than credit cards, utilities, and phone bills combined? No, it's insane. It's really insane. And I think that what you're, you, you saw Bernie Sanders who in, in, in many ways has a better nose and feeling for where some of the popular movements are, are likely to come from, at one point during the campaign talked about 
uh, you know, canceling all medical debt. The reality is because of what you just said, you know, a lot of attention has been around canceling student debt because that's a big middle class issue. But medical debt's actually significantly higher and affects more Americans. I think it's uh, we're either going to fix this or, or, or someone's going to decide to just just cancel all the bills. John, I'm not a big Bernie bro like you, but uh, I did go back to that uh, campaign rhetoric and noted that uh, he had called for canceling medical debt. debt. I'm actually more in favor of that than I am of canceling student debt. You know, the thing about student debt is you take it on and, you know, the idea is you have human capital and you're going to be able to pay it off over time. That's how it should work. With medical debt, you have almost the opposite, which is that you got sick, you're probably less likely to work to be able to hold a well-paid job. Uh, you certainly didn't say, oh, I'll go, you know, with college, you can say, I'll go to community college or I'll go to state college versus a, a private school. You know, with the hospital, you often don't really have a choice. and You have no idea what something's going to cost. So I, I'm more in favor of canceling medical debt than I am student debt. Well, and how about Katie, Representative Katie Porter's recommendation that we pass a law that does not allow medical debt in any way, shape, or fashion to affect your credit rating. Because she makes the very sensible point that you're making, which is this isn't a question of personal responsibility or choice. Often you're getting a medical debt because you had a baby and it, it, it came a little earlier. You were underinsured. You went to the emergency room at the wrong hospital, not realizing that your insurance didn't cover it. And they socked you with some big bill. I mean, the thing about medical debt, David, is it's 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 really eroding people's lives. I mean, you know, half a million people bankrupt, going bankrupt every year, and medical debt being the largest cause of it. Imagine all of the credit ratings that are undermined, and, and your credit rating affects your cost of living post the time that it, it gets cracked. I mean, I think that Katie Porter idea is a great one, but there is, you know, the, the only light at the end of the tunnel here. Well, the only light in the middle of this battle, I guess, is a better way of thinking about it, is that people should know they can negotiate their bills with pretty much any provider when they can't pay. So, John, I, you know, sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel as an oncoming train, uh, which may be the case in uh, here. Let's talk about how medical debt is different from other kinds of debt, because I, I agree with you. You know, a lot of times these bills are inflated in the first place, or they should have been covered by insurance, or there's just there's just an error. It's confusing. You know, I'll get somebody who's trying to collect a so-called medical debt from me, and I'm like, I don't owe that. You know, that number is a nonsense number that they just made up, and maybe it wasn't even for services that you I had. Talking about a personal experience you had in the last few months, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm talking about something that happens to me all the time, John. I get these things, and it's like it's ridiculous. Um, you know, what what is it? And it, and sometimes you say that the you have these nonprofits, uh, they're not non-businesses though. They're just not paying taxes. Is what probably what makes them a nonprofit. It's really complicated, and every consumer should try to negotiate their bill. I mean, studies have shown that you know, when you negotiate your bill down to what you can pay, in sixty-two percent of the cases, uh, or sixty percent of the plus the percent of the cases, people are successful at negotiating in the bill, and you know, close to. Uh, you know, 20 to 30% more are partially successful at negotiating the bill. So you're in really good shape if you know to negotiate and you can either, either through yourself or an advocate. I mean, David, both you and I have been through circumstances where 
We've had to, you know, complex medical bills because of ourselves or our families. And you get them and they make no sense. They aren't even, they aren't, they, 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 they aren't even right half the time. And, uh, and, 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 and you have to push back. Otherwise, you will be overcharged and, and in many cases, unfairly charged by, by, health, by the health, your healthcare providers. Now, John, you're a well-known philanthropist, but I think you're also a well-known sucker. So, you know, you see these things where people are raising money to pay off somebody's medical debt, and you've been known to donate to those. And it's just like, why don't you tell them to negotiate instead of giving them $1,000 and say, you know, pay off this hospital that probably doesn't deserve it in the, in, in the first place? I, 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 can, I can recommend, as John Oliver did, uh, that, that wonderful uh, um, nonprofit medical debt RIP, which was started by two folks in the billing business because they were so appalled by what was happening in the medical debt world. I mean, you, we actually just retired uh, through a modest contribution, $100,000 of medical debt in the name of CareTalk. So I encourage everybody to give to that site. But it is a it is it is a measure of how crazy things are that for you know a, a, a dollar of buying a the the these debts that are currently not no one's making any money off of you can retire a hundred dollars worth of debt and that hundred dollars worth of debt or hundred x return on that dollar uh, really can change people's lives it's gonna it's gonna take some dramatic government action in order to change this David and I think we should start with. Let's not have medical debt affect your credit rating. Well, John, you know, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the pandemic because it's everywhere. A lot of these statistics that we've been rattling off so uncharacteristically uh, are before the pandemic. Now, my question is, what's the impact of the pandemic, if any, on the whole medical debt crisis? If everybody just decided to play nice and medical debt's not something that we have to worry about, or is COVID going to have an impact here? No, I think COVID, you're already seeing it. You know, as I said earlier, you've got an almost a 10% increase in medical debt. A lot of the impact of that has been delayed by the cash influx and extra benefits that people have had. But we're, we're, we're not going to quickly escape a world with an incredibly complicated medical system where institutions bill with imperfect information. People can't afford those medical bills. And, the, and, we're, and we're back on that, on that cycle. And I think that as we go into this period of the Delta variant where hospitals are starting to fill up, ICUs are starting to fill up, people are going for testing, I do worry that medical debt's going to spike again as a na natural part of healthcare costs going up. John, I, th I hate to say it, but I think you're right. I think the other thing that may happen, this may combine with these long, so-called long COVID syndrome, where you've got people that recover from COVID initially, they go back to work, but it turns out they can't work to the same level that they did before. They have to take fewer hours, a lower paid job, or they may have to go on disability and they'll have trouble paying their medical debt. So John, on that happy note, why don't we call it quits for yet another episode of Care Talk and try to find something happier to talk about next week. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centrics. Remember to negotiate your bill and remember to subscribe.